Hello, we are back with more of Oops! All Strange Friends. Though, of course, it's not all of the Strange Friends because Yoy is not here and we miss him very much. We'll have to have another one of these where we can pepper them with questions about all their great roleplay. But for now, we will continue our discussion with the four of us here. And and actually, let's start with that for a second. I mean, Yoy knows this. I've told him. But god damn, do I have such professional jealousy about how he has always consistently been the one to come up with the fan favorite character. Mm-hmm. Like, just round of applause for the talent, huh? This is true. And in particular, Yoi has a talent for a certain kind of chaos that I absolutely adore. And... Uh, obviously, Crossroads is a very good example of this because Yoi was the first to lean into, oh, you could just not play a human. I don't want to be a human anymore. And was like naturally inspired to just go wherever that leads the game because the Hull playbook already says you have lost and are struggling to regain a semblance of your humanity. And he was just willing to go, what if we just did that in the silliest way possible rather than the most dour? Which was a lot of fun. But I actually kind of, like, even though Crossroads is very high, I liked his character in Girl by Moonlight, Fractal's Fire, a great deal more. Partly this is biased because I had to make an entire NPC and then every conversation that took place afterwards was like, do, is this is this enemies to lovers? Is this what's happening here? Dice does not let you go. Oh god, I forgot there was a command. I forgot we made a command. That's the other thing too. Yoi makes characters that automatically just trigger commands and in interactions. Yeah, I think Yoi's characters have the most chat commands of any of us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one thing that is that I I don't think Yoi will mind us saying that Yoi spends a lot of time outside of game thinking about their character. And, you know, we talk on Discord about like character stuff and you know, we do a little bit of like fanfic writing for our own characters because even in the series where, you know, we're, we're going 10 plus episodes, there's just a lot of stuff that we, d- we can't get to because we're not actually making a 22 episode, a season, like primetime drama. You know, we're not even, we're, I mean, it, we could, we, we could do that next time. Who's stopping us? Right. Cause I think the thing to get there is more. It's. I think it's to go even farther on what Brandon was talking about earlier and just letting scenes breathe. And I think there have definitely been times when we've, when we've done that, but I think that, that there's a, maybe a little bit of tension in that for more standard Forge in the Dark games where there is a principle of cut to the action, where mm-hmm. lingering in the moment and the character relationships pushes a little bit against that and when we have such strong role play happening like when yoy is playing anybody of course there's the inc- the the inclination to to sit in that scene i think too that like one of the key components of humor is surprise and yoy is excellent at delivering surprises uh, you know there there is something that is no yeah it's amazing she like has a gun <laughs> <laughs> I was just, yep. oh my god 
But like, so, okay. And part of, part of character and, and having a strong sense of character is that you want their decisions to feel as if like, this is a natural decision this character would make. This is a thing this character would say. This is a, this is a thing this character would choose to do. And Yoi's characters, their decisions always make sense, but are still always kind of like, 90 degrees off from anything that you might have expected out of a sort of generalized version of a character. And so, like, that surprise element is always delightful. I mean, mm-hmm. they're always they're always playing in, like, a non-gendered way, extremely specific little guys. <laughs> like, the average if you selected a random sample of people off the street, most of them would not take that choice, but you would find the one unhinged fucker who would. And Yori has a talent for inventing that unhinged fucker in, like, the best way possible. Mm-hmm. In particular, Yori is very good at leaning into that, like, one unwritten rule that people always give players in RPGs, which is your character does not know things that you know. And sometimes and- those things are social norms. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes Yoi will play a character who will make the decision that they would make, given that nothing that has taken place in the last 50 minutes of this session has actually gotten through to them. And it will make sense, because that's the decision that they would make. Like, in a lot of ways, Crossroads is the quote-unquote protagonist of the case of the Cinded Seal. All of the action is predicated on an interaction that Crossroads was supposed to know that they didn't know and therefore couldn't tell anybody else. And that means that now their three friends are all under intense scrutiny by the blue coats and probably about to be murdered by a gang kingpin. And that, sh- like, in another game, someone would go, it is my duty now to know and to learn and to think more deeply about whatever this thing is that I missed as a process of being a hull and being hit in the head with this large marble block. And instead, Yoy is like, Runa told me that my job is to be human. I'm trying my very hardest to be human. I do not have enough brain cells for anything else. So we're just going to lean into that now. And then things are happening around them. And they're like, that's... A human would know that this is not ideal. But I don't know what to do about it. So I'm just going to point out that this is not ideal. Have a little panic about it and then move on. Yeah, it was a little bit like the party was trying to protect Crossroads and themselves from having, like, from being in a thriller plot so that we could be a slice of life story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wanted so badly to just be in a very cozy drama, and instead, they got the the most dangerous game. And also, like, as Ruth, you know, Ruth was a character that chose anger. Like, it really was just, when options were available, anger was, was the choice. And the consistency of that, I think, is great. And the fact that it was something that Yoi did not shy away from when it would have been 
convenient to do so. Like, again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about how as players, we we lean into character and we will make character consistent choices that may nonetheless cause us trouble as players. And I think the willingness to do that is is really good and creates sort of more drama, more interest. Yeah. Ruth in particular, again, Ruth is like my favorite in part because Ruth's very obvious conflict is knowing that violence doesn't solve every problem, but every problem keeps coming violently. Like, Ruth has very obvious moments of softness in a lot of ways in that very first session, more so than everybody else, and is very consistently wanting to express the desire to have that very soft, non-violent experience, but is butting up against a world that is constantly violent and goes, well, maybe I should be the most, the best violent then, and succeeds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's where part of that joy is for me, that, there, that uh, Ruth's relationship with their job is that they want to protect the owners of the coffee shop from problems they can't even properly mitigate, but doesn't know how to do it without killing a cop and knowing that killing a cop is bad. That they're in obviously hostile situations on a regular basis only to realize that their greatest rival loves them terribly for that fact. I think that doesn't make sense. And that they were given the power to be a dream knight and, and were, uh, in their own words, the least willing to gain it but are the best at it because they will look at a problem and go, how about I break it completely to the point where they can just make one of their enemies catatonic at will. And all of that is just like incredibly tense and I love it a lot. Well, let's see. So I know that Prince Justin had a question earlier. Um, Prince Justin, if you want to ask that, uh, I think while we're waiting for that, I'm going to think about how else we can brag on Yoi um, as a player character. Since he is not here to defend himself. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think another thing for me is that Yoi making really strong character choices makes me want to dig deeper in role-playing opposite him in whatever scene uh, Yoi's character is in so that both like the, the kind of uh, temperature of the scene... Um, stays the same even if characters are like being a foil to one another like oh, okay if you know if if the gravity of or the intensity of the scene is here then i want to try and match that or make the scene about that disjunct between where characters are mm -hmm. when you said that i was immediately thinking about the fact that the outsider playbook i think it was that yoi was playing specifically the notes arrival, and the rival was uh, your character, Mike. And I like the fact that as a result, a lot of your play interactions were like juxtaposing the obvious trust that you all have in this season two version of your characters, knowing that you have been through a thing that you describe as a trauma, going through all of this weird and crazy crap with. Uh, euphony in the first place 
but knowing that there is still a wall between you both and trying to navigate what that wall is, while you as the protector, even being aware of said wall, are still trying very strongly to, like, obviously let Ruth know that you are trying to be helpful and in a lot of ways, like, kind of going over that conflict by just doing the things that you're supposed to do, that you that you are supposed to do in that protective sense, which I thought was actually a really cool dynamic. It, it played off less like you didn't know that there was a conflict going on and more like, let's try to just not have to deal with this so we can all live. Yeah, because that brings up two things for me. One, part of why Fractal Spire was interesting and complicated and hard is that having the avatars meant that we had so many more relationships, right? Because Deed's relationship with Ruth is different than Vic's relationship with Ruth. And then we had an absent kind of center of gravity of the, so- of the social circle in Euphony in the way that Runa was the absent center of gravity in Cindered Seal. And so that creates a lot of complexity in terms of the interactions. And then I think the other note for me, and I'm curious to hear about like character relationships with, with Ruth for the others as well, I got to the point where I felt like Vic was trying to figure out how to communicate to Ruth that they were not just Euphony 2.0, but to do so in a way that was that showed it instead of just claiming it, right? Where Ruth was very much like a whetstone to the knife of Vic so that Vic would be the leader that Ruth knew the group did because he did not trust Euphony's leadership because of the trespasses that they had done against him. And that's like, it's a really interesting uh, character dynamic to go into. And so I'm curious to, to hear from Iori and, and Valerie how they played off of such a, like, a strongly defined character. So with Nina, I feel like my kind of overriding impulse was that she is just very soft and very not super wise just she she is a character who was kind of like oh god in in if this is captain planet she's heart and like in sort of the worst stereotypes of that where it's like what even does she contribute to this situation and in some ways that can be a liability right like if you if everyone has this character that they're constantly worrying about and trying to protect who sort of can't hold her own, it is a problem. It, it does become uh, a challenge for everyone else to be like, okay, well, why don't we just leave her at home? You know what I'm saying? Like, And so with Ruth specifically, I feel like there was the situation where Nina was kidnapped by Dice and that made a huge problem for Ruth in terms of the anger levels uh, just increasing massively. Because again, you have this character who is supposed to be sort of the protected one and then you're your arch enemy kidnaps this character and sticks her in a hole. And so that just, that escalated that situation, but it also gave Nina a lever. And I think that giving characters levers is a really good way to proceed with drama and plot. Again, it gives you the opportunity to have a character capable of enacting change. And so because Nina was the one who gained the lever in that situation of, I have the ability to forgive Dice 
and therefore change the dynamic of this relationship somewhat. It, it was it was a very not a redemptive situation so much as just a, a forgiveness situation, which again was a very cool mechanic of Girl by Moonlight that we had the opportunity to explore. So I feel like that was something that between Nina and Ruth became a big thing where it's like, okay, now Nina has this different relationship with Dice that is impacting their relationship with Ruth and also is impacting Ruth's relationship with Dice in interesting ways. Yeah, like there's a version of Fractal Spire where Dice just doesn't show up after like the third or fourth episode. Right? Because it's the line is crossed. There like there is not the forgiveness and Ruth just sets the hardest line. I mean, I think there's a version of Fractal Spire where after like the fourth episode, Dice Calendron's found like dead stuffed in a dumpster because Ruth put him there and Kat helped. <laughs> That is, that is again, that's one of the interesting things about just games in general, but also especially Fractal Spire. I feel like Fractal Spire is a game that, it is a game of opportunities to avoid the darkest timeline, but the specter, the shadow of the darkest timeline, that, that ghost mm. still lingers in ways that impacts the characters. And I think that is a really cool thing about it. Like Blades in the Dark sometimes feels much more, I guess, directed maybe that, that you are very kind of devoted to engaging in these missions that are furthering whatever your goal is within the context of, of your crew. But in Fractal Spire, it felt much more like a change of world state sort of situation in which the characters themselves are deeply conscious of how their choices and actions are impacting that world state and how how it could go terribly wrong at any moment. And especially the playset that we were playing, you know, in A Maze of Dreams, that was one where you have this conspiracy, where you have these layers of things that you're unearthing or the conspiracy is getting ever closer to you and the potential, again, the, the looming horror of failure, the specter of it uh, is sort of, omnipresent i think in really interesting ways yeah i think again hat tip to andrew gillis for setting the actions in girl by moonlight with such a strong emotional focus so that like oh here's the nine verbs that are the most important in the story and what that communicated and the, what it gave to us mm -hmm. plus i just really like that girl by moonlight is very emotive in a way that lady the dark is very physical and therefore give, gave us opportunities to like really engage socially with a lot of problems because of the nature of those problems themselves, which is very good for character play, in my opinion. So, yeah. Yuri, I'm curious, anything you wanted to add about like playing opposite Ruth with Kat? It was really interesting because Kat just had a lot going on that she was not talking about. And I think the character to whom that was clearest was always Ruth. Because Ruth also has shitloads of stuff that he refuses to talk about. And I think a lot of their bond came from that mutual, hey, I'm here, but I'm not prying. In fact, look at me conspicuously not prying. Which was a very cute way for them to interact. We have a question from Prince Justin 
I am sure that Mike has a fuck ton of games he wants to play with the strange friends that he has not yet tried, similarly Brandon, so I want to hear from Iori and Valerie on game systems they want to try in one-shots with the strange friends. Oh, oh, Brandon, is this time for the talk? Is this time for the pitch? Oh god, (laughs) yes, please, go ahead, do the thing. Okay, so I am currently working on partially translating a Jap- an indie Japanese TRPG called Emoclore for us to play in. Emoclore is focused on basically interaction with urban folklore, of which Japan has just shit tons, right? Characters mm-hmm. are called resonators, and basically interacting with... I am currently translating this as curiosities, but interacting with the supernatural existences has the power to permanently emotionally mutate your character, which is super exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Another thing I love about it is how ability scores are set up, because unlike most games... So, in most games, how you interact with other people is reduced purely to charisma. This is a problem because... Charisma is not the only thing that affects how you move through the world. So what Emmaclore did was split this now into charisma, which is your likability. And I'm translating this as clout. So you have a separate score, that ability score, for your social power. Like, your reputation, your credibility, your financial resources, your education level is covered in clout. So it's possible to play someone who is like, Very charming and likable, but broke and can't, you know, convince people of things because they don't have social standing. Or you can go the other way, dump score your charisma, put everything into clout, congrats, you've made Elon Musk. (laughs) So I know what I'm not doing when we play this game. (laughs) There's like 40 different skills, there's sets of different resonant feelings that your character will have permanently affected by resonant feelings are sort of like mm, a combination of your desires and your trauma. And these are permanently affected and mutated by your interaction with various curiosities. So I am super psyched about Emmaclore and actually I'm taking some of my free time this week to focus on the translation. I can't remember how we got to this point. I think it, I think it was, I found a link and you couldn't translate link. it. So I sent it to you. I was like, I read what it. does this mean? I bought it immediately. And then like the same night that the book finally arrived because it was a pre-order, mm-hmm. I got on a Discord call with Brandon and like live translated the character sheet at him for two hours. Like, Brandon, we have to play this. We yeah. have to play this. This looks it was so like- cool. I, I got up out of my bed at like 7 o'clock in the morning because I was like, did, did we discover a thing? It was really, if I recall correctly, there are mechanics tied to your age in the game. Mm-hmm. It's I, I really, yeah, I'm yes. very excited to play Emoclore whenever we get the chance. Yes. So I want to hear about what Valerie wants to play. And also, I have an extension to, to Prince Justin's question. Would you ever consider stage managing for us, and what game would you make that? 
All right. So I'll answer that question first. I I feel like I'm not a great improviser, honestly. And so I don't know that I have the chops to be able to stage manage. Um, I I trust all of you implicitly. And so that makes me feel a little more comfortable about potentially doing it. But I'm just not that I'm a plotter. I'm not a pantser. (laughs) I really do struggle. I have I (laughs) I always write pitch synopsis outline then start writing my books. And so, like, I I have a wiki for all of my books. I just, I struggle. And so the necessary skills for stage managing are not ones I think I'm super good at. It's not that I shouldn't develop them. It's not that it wouldn't be cool to develop them. But I definitely do not have them intrinsically. In terms of a game that I would love to play, I'm going to be just real basic. I'm sorry. And say Brindlewood Bay... I really want to play that. I So I grew up, you know, sitting in my Abuela's Florida room with us watching like Matlock and Columbo and Mercy Road and Harry Mason and all those shows. And so just the idea of enacting that in, in TTRPG form is extremely appealing to me. I, I own a lot of Nancy Drew. Like I read every Nancy Drew book I can get my hands on, you know, I was definitely very invested. Including the trashy 90s reboot? Yeah, boy! I got some of those right up in here. I know, I know, it's wild. I love the trashy 90s reboot where, like, everybody's getting murdered left and right and she actually has sex. It's so funny to me. Yeah, I mean, I was getting older at that point, so it was appropriate for me to graduate. But just all that stuff, all that stuff was part of my childhood. It's very deeply embedded in my psyche, and I would extremely love to uh, play a game where I could be something, one of those characters. Even Father Dowling gets a, gets a nod in that game. Like, I, I didn't know anyone else who watched the Father Dowling Mysteries. I thought I was alone. I thought I hallucinated that show. I don't know. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Brindlewood Bay is on the list, I guarantee you. One of these days we have to do the thing, we just haven't yet. I think I've been promising you all Brindlewood Bay for like eight months now. Members of this Strange Friends have been poking me to run Genrenauts for the show as a thing that's broadcast. And I want to do it, I just have to figure out how to take a campaign where we've already played like 15-something sessions and turn that into a season one so that we can repilot for an audience. And when I can figure out how to do that, we will do that. Honestly, I'm really excited about that because my character from Genre Knots is, I think, my second favorite character I've played in a Strange Friends production. My first favorite is always and forever going to be Jeremy J, even though I recognize that my attempt at a Boston his accent was just a hate crime against Bostonians. Okay, but shout out to Stone the Cruise. That was deeply fun. That entire sh- that was such shenanigans. It was wonderful. That was wild. Stone the you know was you a know what? very good game. You know what I was thinking about just idly the other, like literally the other day, which is probably an evil thought of mine that I should be ashamed of. We should we should find a system to play a Stone the Crows Stone the Crows sequel in that is set after the death of Queen Elizabeth. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Everybody comes back and goes, did we really do the thing? Did we did we do did we do the thing? We did yeah. the thing. Do we just Actually, should slide into Honey Heist? No, like I know what this I know what it should be. Yes, Honey Heist, because we should rob the British Museum. They deserve it though, right now. They do, Ooh. they do. 
Right now, they need it. Right now, they well, no, they deserved it for a long time, but like, yeah, extra, yeah, extra. Mm-hmm. Yo, they got themselves the extra credit points today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh God. How do we? How do we relocate every reference to Tijin? Just, just the, the to Elfie one Dole. person's doorstep. Is this? Is this the one where a bunch of birds steal the Elgin marbles? Like, what? What's harder to carry for a bird than the crown jewels? Oh, how about some giant ass statues? This will work yeah. out. I mean, well, birds have been documented with rudimentary tool use. I see no reason that one of those tools can't be pulleys. A forklift. Right. Think <laughs> of how cute I it would be. It. This to... bird is forklift certified. Right? Corvid, yellow forklift hat. Jaunty. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah. has to do the pedals. Somebody has to do the steering. Oh. Somebody. So it's Muppet Man, but... Yeah. Corvid's running a forklift. Oh my gosh. I think this might Literally actually be birds in a like coat. a mechanic smash between Honey Heist and Crash Pandas. Mm. Yeah. It's just this time it's How forklifts. Do we, How do we ask Grant Howitt? <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone have Grant Howitt's number right now where you could just be like, can you just give us this one specific thing? That we want really badly right now. Hmm. It's like, we just need you to set this up for us, please. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Or just like, get on a phone call for an hour as, as we figure this out together. <laughs> like, yeah, what's, what's your one hour of talking on a Zoom call mm-hmm. consulting rate as we try to make this work? Mm-hmm. We'll just, we'll make that a, like a, a GoFundMe. It's like, right. GoFund us to have one hour of consultation. Right. It's one of the like stretch goals for this, this next year's Speculate uh, fundraiser. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but Second Bill- on the priority list after getting Rudy a raise. <laughs> Indeed. Following up on something you said earlier, Valerie, you talk about not being a great improviser. And in like in accommodation for that, you like pre-write some things. So I'm curious to hear like how you bring writing skills to gaming, to, like either to compensate for things where you don't feel as comfortable, or places where you feel like you get to use skills that you have elsewhere. And then we'll take that question around the table. Yeah. I, so one thing, just as a clear example like nina's speech at the end of of girl by moonlight i had prescripted that as well as like the description of her transformation and moreover i had actually scripted multiple transformations for her depending on how that progressed because it felt like something that i really wanted to in that moment have something that felt appropriate to the context in which it was occurring because like while everyone else had already met their avatars and already had a kind of clear vision of who they were and and how they operated like and like bitter was sort of a, a special case i think but like well, the, I mean, that happened just because I realized I was not doing well with Kat. So the entire Kat storyline got really derailed by that. At the same time, I feel like Kat was really awesome in terms of, like, every time that Kat pulled a card out of the deck of reveries, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and so... That was a fun mechanic and, like, it was. a very useful way to... Com- to compensate for the fact that Kat could not do any useful action. <laughs> it was like, it was weird, like... Every time we got into a combat, which happened a lot more than I expected, <laughs> to be honest, like, 
I did not think we would be in combat that frequently. Pat was just purely useless. Could not hit anything. <laughs> so I am so lucky that Brandon gave me that card mechanic because it was really the only useful way that Cat could interact with the setting. But also, I mean, Cat had strong relationship with the other characters too, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and like helped a lot in terms of driving, like getting us to the party and, and how that all played out as well. But I think like, I just, I don't want to undervalue the deck of reveries because it really was just so deeply cool and not in just in terms of utility, but in terms of vibe and flavor as well. Like that, mm-hmm. it was, it was all around just one of the coolest parts of that it game. It was I such a good flavor mechanic. It yeah. super duper was. And just the way that it manifested too. Not just like, oh, this is a cool thing to have that someone can pull cards out of a deck and get something out of it. But like it turned into a conversation between present cat and future cat in a way that was very cool. Yeah. And it meant that every so often the rest of us got to be the audience <laughs> for the mini game that was the two player game of Brandon and Iori play Deck of Reveries and yes. <laughs> like make make what those things mean in collaboration. And also how they were interpreted within the context of a, a given scene. Because you could draw the same card more than once potentially, and like just the the context really did matter for interpretation. Mm-hmm. And it, it worked out really well. It was very cool. Yeah, I think with the deck of reveries, that's really helped by both Brandon and me having strong tarot backgrounds. I still really want to make the thing, by the way. We just need an illustrator right now, and I will do the thing you know. It is very... God, it would be so expensive. Like, yeah. when I think about what is a fair price for card art, oh boy. Yeah. But yeah, so making up stuff in advance, that was... <laughs> so what do we, What did other people do? What kind of other writing stuff did people do to, I don't know, plot prep, whatever? Yeah, and I think I'm interested in both things you've taken from gaming to writing or things that you brought from writing to gaming, because I think those are both interesting. I think, I think for me, it is what someone else would call a question wrongly asked, because I do kind of think about TTRPGs in a lot of the same ways that I do think about writing, not just playing it, but actually even design as well, is very often about vibe first and a lot of my like pantsing process is driven by getting to the beat that inspires me as quickly as possible Uh, like i have playlists for campaigns that i want to play with the strange friends for games that don't exist yet because i know what the vibe is for that campaign already so I feel like a lot of the time, as a stage manager and as a player, I am like committed to getting to that moment. And it's even more interesting from a GM perspective, because that like jestful comment that we make very often as writers, that sometimes our characters run away from us and make their own decisions, is a thing that you're all actually doing because you're all actually real people with actual consciousnesses. Uh, So when you make a decision that I actually think is like leaps and bounds better than than the, the tone that I had for that moment, that is actually radically inspiring to me as a writer. 
because I want to like recreate that moment in the writing process by being surprised by a thing. And I think that a lot of the time, as a result, I try to like manufacture that kind of experience as a stage manager when I'm writing, which is hard because, again, the character in my brain doesn't have its own consciousness, but I try to manufacture the situation in which a character needs to make a decision to solve the problem that I've given it in ways that I had not prepared to try to figure out what are new ways to imagine progressing that plot that were potentially better than my first idea. Yori, what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't actually think about writing and gaming together because, like, for starters, these are fundamentally different experiences for me because when I'm gaming, I actually want to be here. I want to be doing this. I know this feeling. I will add that, so... I think about writing craft a lot. <laughs> it is a sin of mine. I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but like, yeah, I just, my brain cogitates on these things. And Blades in the Dark is definitely something that I have thought through in a lot of different ways as to how mechanics from it and elements of it can translate into writing. I put together a whole I don't know, essay or whatever, blog post, I don't know what you call it, about using clocks as an outlining method, just basically setting up a series of clocks, some nested, some consecutive, and just thinking of your outline as segments of that clock. Here are things that happen, and when all of these things have happened, the clock is full and a new thing happens. There's an event that occurs, etc. And so, like, thinking about that mechanic has translated very naturally to me to writing. And other stuff that I think about in terms of just Blades in the Dark and Girl by Moonlight, again, the character relationships, building those those webs of, you know, how these people interact with each other, how they feel about each other, how they talk to each other. And how they know each other, all, all that stuff, um, is very useful. Also, like, factions. Just how Blades in the Dark does factions is something that I think is really cool. And having that for prep work is is useful to me. Just this notion of, like, if I am telling a story that has factions, how do I want to summarize them? How do I want to define them? What are their prominent characteristics and how do they each relate to each other who's allied who's opposed who's neutral what are their varying power levels i feel like there's just there is a lot of really cool structural stuff in a lot of these games that can translate well to writing if you are writing stuff that vibes with it yeah yeah like i definitely want to second the use of clocks because i think a particular trap that it is easy to step into when you're writing is my antagonist is off screen, therefore they're not doing anything. And yeah. thinking about it in terms of clocks helps you keep them active even if they are not being shown in the story at that exact moment. Yeah, something I've, I've taken to doing more as a GM is putting antagonist or antagonist faction action quote unquote, on screen for the players, because the tools of RPGs will let me say, meanwhile, somewhere else where the players know that a thing is happening and the characters don't. And so the players as like audience participants 
are getting some more characterization. They're getting a gesture from me that says like, this is important. Your existing feelings or thoughts about this are going to have something extra to have in context with that is really fun. And that is very much a manifest or like it's, it is me ticking a clock in public to the audience through describing that cutscene, like as I, as I think about them. And the other thing that I've done is I have been working to be more kind of composed and deeper dramatization of moments when I'm narrating as a GM, where in general, I think that my, my GMing style is very conversational. I'm thinking about scene framing and pacing. I really want to spotlight characters, but I often until the last six, nine months or so, I had not been as likely in the moment to slow down and give you a power, like a really powerful paragraph of here's what's happening in this moment. Like using the cutscenes, I've gotten more and more confident at doing that. And in a Blades in the Dark game that I ran, um, a session that I ran a couple of weeks ago, we finally did the flashback to a character's like, tragic like a a one bad day kind of moment that set this character on on her arc so we we finally got back to it and once i got into that scene i just chewed on it and was like all right i'm gonna be a novelist at this for another 90 seconds and one of my players who is not the player whose backstory i was describing was typing in the discord mike i'm emotionally compromised (laughs) and i that's not an impulse that I tend to have as much in my fiction, but it's a fiction practice that I'm putting into play. And I'm very curious to what degree I will be able to then bring that back into prose to really um, dig in more intensely to a moment. And I think some of that actually comes from reading romance, where romance writers are so great at unpacking a moment and having a character go through just a whole lot of things in a very small amount of time because of the emotional impact of things. And I think that's something that we can do in RPGs because in RPGs, you can also, you can say, well, this is what my character is feeling and they're thinking about this. We have those tools to be able to dip in and out of character and to get so many different perspectives and positionalities really smoothly. Another thing though, oh, sorry, go ahead, Valerie. I mean, so... Another thing about that that's interesting to me, though, is like when we're gaming, we are getting feedback from each other in the moment. So we know whether or not something is landing. And if it's not, we can take cues from the rest of the table on where to dig deeper or where to pivot and just get us out of this hole. And that is something that you just don't get as a writer for long stretches of time. And hmm, honestly, like, if I had to deal with immediate feedback as a writer, I'd hate it. Absolutely, I would hate it. But when we're gaming, it is so useful to me in how we shape the story. I'd be curious to try to do basically low low lag, fast response collaboration with a writer where like we're giving feedback more frequently, like maybe even more frequently than I write a chapter, I send it to somebody that like maybe not like co-writing in a Google doc together, but something that where that, that um, feedback frame is tighter 
but I don't know mm-hmm. that there's another creative form that I have any experience in that operates the way that TTRPGs do in how how effectively and for me organically I can take other people's feedback mm. and use it to inform when I'm going to go in or pull back from a moment or if I'm going to steer it somewhere right. else. Like that moment when you are being told, I'm emotionally compromised. Like that is such useful immediate feedback that's going to inform how you keep playing. Yeah, because I, I was in that moment and as I felt that I just had everybody in the palm of my hand, I was like, all right, let's keep going. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm like writing in my office by myself and I'm in a moment, I'm like, is this, have I, have I, am I going too far here? Am I just like, is this just indulgent frippery? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to have that kind of self-reflection when you're writing alone because the stuff that impacts you may not impact yeah. readers and you yeah. won't know until they, until they get it. And then, and then you are like, Oh, so what did you think about this? And they're like, Oh, that's fine. And you're like, Oh, yeah. I cried. Th- I cried through writing that entire part, but cool. I'm glad that it didn't in any way. affect. I've you. come to accept that like almost everything that is emotionally resonant to me is not going to hit with my readers because they don't have the 10 years of context necessary to understand where I'm coming from. Sure, yeah. That's, that's tricky. Brandon? I think you just kind of described a thing. So, like, I haven't done spoken word in ages. I haven't performed on a stage in nearly five or, five or more years now at this point. But playing and GMing does a thing that I enjoy as a performer, which is when you're on a stage and you're delivering a line and just the delivery of the line obviously gets a reaction from someone. And you're like, ah, I did the thing. The line is working. Let's hope that we can continue this momentum for three more minutes. But it's that for for two to three hours with an audience of just four people. And they're also on stage. So I feel like there is something like really rich, obviously, about that kind of immediate gratification. But because this is the only way that you can get it from narrative of this particular length and in this particular shape, because no one's gonna... If I did a two-hour-long performance poem... It's only going to make people one hour for eight minutes, and then they're going to want me to stop. But Isn't a two-hour uh, performance poem like doing, I don't know, three chapters of the Iliad? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com
Hi everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life? Can I recommend arvaneleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign, which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players, and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there and over here. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and many other fine podcast providers. Thanks, and we'll see you over there.